Parshat Miketz almost always brings up a real uh, tension and a problem, which is, do we talk about the Parsha or we talk about Hanukkah? Because Miketz almost always, last year was a famous exception, is Shabbat Hanukkah. And this one, this Shabbat, we even have the triple header with Shabbat, Hanukkah, Rosh Chodesh. Uh, and so I decided, what the heck? We've talked about Hanukkah a lot in, in years past. I, I really, there's too many delightful things in Parshat Miketz. I don't want to let them go by. So we're going to take a look at uh, at the Parsha. And our focus is going to be on, on the issue of dreams. But the truth is, this is going to eliminate, elim, elim, illuminate, I'm sorry. This will be, will illuminate also things about last week's Parsha. Um, the, the center of attention from this point on, from last week's Parsha on, Till the end of Breshit is undeniably Yosef. Uh, chapter 37 through 50, commonly known as the Yosef narrative cycle. Uh, Yosef is the center of attention. There are There's one chapter deviation where we take a look at Yehuda and Tamar in that story. There are, of course, um, sort of split screen um, pieces, especially in Miketz, with Yaakov and Yosef, or Yaakov and the sons in Canaan, and Yosef and the brothers, same people, in, in Mitzrayim. But it's basically about Yosef. And the story starts with Yosef's dreams. So let, we're going to take a look at Yosef's dreams. Yosef's dreams, of course, come in a pair. There's two dreams. We're going to look at those dreams in detail. And then we're going to take a look at the dreams that Yosef interprets, which, by the way, is an odd move. Because when we get there, we'll see Yosef has no experience that we know of interpreting dreams. He has experience having dreams. <clears throat> question is what why why does he think that he can interpret dreams and then of course the culmination is going to be the beginning of this week's parasha which is pharaoh's dreams and yosef's interpretation which are absolutely fateful for our entire existence as a people because it not only launches yosef into a position of power in egypt which means that we end up moving there and staying there etc but it also um foretells the famine which is going to be the cause of us going down so all of jewish history kind of getting kicked off uh in in this parasha with the story of pharaoh's dreams so i'd like to instead of looking at pharaoh's dreams as a separate piece or as a culmination i'd like to invert it and look at the dreams that we saw in vayeshev both yosef's pair of dreams and the the butler and baker dreams as the necessary preface to get to pharaoh's dreams Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Yosef, uh, source one, Yosef uh, is uh, having a very difficult time getting along with his brothers. It may be that Yosef doesn't realize that. Yosef seems to be somewhat naive about his brothers, uh, but the brothers can't stand him. They can't talk to him nicely, anything else. And Yosef has a dream, and he tells his brothers, and they hate him. And it's a little unclear in Pasuke whether it means he told his brothers the dreams and the dream and they hated him. Or he said, I have a dream, and they already hated him, because why do we want to listen to your dream? And then he tells them the dream. What's the dream? We'll look in the highlighted piece. Behold, we are all binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf stands up tall. And then your sheaves surround my sheaf and bow to it. Now, just a, a technical piece, but it's important because whenever we read any narrative in Tanakh, it's crucial for us to put ourselves in the narrative. See it. Look through the eyes 
of each character, see what they see, see what they don't see, what do they know. And we may be a little surprised here. But let's first see what, what the dream looks like. What is it Yosef's describing? So you notice that this dream has three stages. And I highlighted the prefacing word, to mark each stage. Because there are three clearly marked out stages. What are the stages? Stage one. What are we all doing? So that means that Yosef is describing a dream in which some or all of his brothers or some or all of his audience, when he's telling it, are in the dream. And um, how many how many people are in this dream? Meaning, if you're if you want to make the movie version of this, how many extras do you have to hire for this dream? What do you think? You're right. We don't know because we also don't know who he's talking to. He says, which means whoever he's talking to is represented by sheaves. Now, another piece to consider is that the, the, the stages of the dream shift dramatically. In the first stage, there are people on the stage. There are people in the dream. We are all binding sheaves together. Is he talking to Ruven, Shimon, Levi, and Yehuda only? Maybe Sachar Zvulun also. Ardan, Naftali, God, and Asher part of it. Unclear. And um, and he says to him, we are all binding sheaves, which means that if you are the set director, then you have to make sure that there's space enough for, we'll call it 12, uh, 12 people, to be generous, and there has to be 12 sheaves there. And they're all binding sheaves. The second thing is, in the second stage of the dream, how many people are on stage? At the second segment of the dream, how many people are on stage? One. Actually, none. Take a look again. My sheep stands up tall. Right? So there's no people, and suddenly there's a sheep that stands up tall. How many people are in the last scene? None. Again, none. All the other sheaves bow to his sheep, which is somewhat remarkable because this dream has shifted from the person being in the dream to the representative sheaf being in the dream, and the person is gone. How do we know that that's his sheaf and those are, his, those, those, those are his, those, their sheaves? We don't know. That's how he's reporting the dream. There's another piece of this dream that's odd. What does Yosef's family, does he, what do Yaakov's kids do for a living? Shepherd. They're shepherds. And what is his dream describing? Farming. Now, farmers and shepherds hate each other. Farmers and shepherds hating each other goes back to Cain and Hevel. Farmers and shepherds hating each other may be the reason that the Egyptians hate the Hebrews. Hebrews are shepherds, and the Egyptians consider shepherds to be the most disgusting kind of person. They won't even eat with them. It could be because as farmers, we hate shepherds because the shepherds come, they graze and eat up our crops. That may be as simple a thing as that. Always uh, remember what Bill Clinton said, it is the economy, stupid. That's well, I always look at that. For whatever reason, there's that antipathy. So it's odd that Yosef is having a dream in which the dream is about sheaves instead of about, let's say, sheep. All right, we're grazing with the sheep, and my sheep stands up tall, and all your sheep bow to my sheep. That would have been easy. And in English, it would be very, very good. A sheep, sheep, sounds alike. But that's not what he has. He has this thing about the, about the sheaves. Now, the question I want to pose at this point is, what does Yosef think about these dreams? Now, let's remember, Yosef is comfortable telling his brothers about these dreams. Does it mean that Yosef is, as I said at the beginning, extremely naive, and no matter what the implication of the dream is, 
he says, oh, they'll be very happy to hear it because it involves them, or they'll be entertained by it? Or does Yosef think he knows what it means and think it'll be inoffensive to them and is maybe surprised by their reaction? We don't know. I'd like to posit that Yosef doesn't really understand what these dreams mean. And maybe he himself is surprised that his dream involved collecting grain, which the family doesn't do, uh, as opposed to shepherding. So how do the brothers respond? Are you going to be king over us? Are you going to rule over us? So how do the brothers interpret the dream? First of all, they interpret the dream as either being somewhat prophetic, in which case they're very bothered because why are you sharing this with us? Why are you you're telling us that you're going to be a ruler over us? Or more likely, they're seeing it not as a prophetic dream, but rather as a human dream, the kind of dreams that we have, which means when we are obsessed with something, it comes out in a particularly uh, uh, flowery fashion, perhaps, or, or uh, artistic fashion in a dream. So in other words, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about how you're going to rule over us. And uh, and that's why you're having these dreams. And so then what happens? So they hate him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, what does it mean for his dreams and his words? It can't be that he said, I'm going to rule over you. He didn't say that. So it must be his dreams, meaning the very fact that he had the dreams, and Al-Dvarav, the fact that he told them his dreams. In other words, he told them his dreams. Why would you tell us this dream if not to lord over us that you think you're going to be our king? And so Yosef doesn't seem to get it. First of all, he seems to be totally uh, obtuse to their hatred, not getting it at all. But he also doesn't seem to get the, uh, shall we say, the political um, foolishness of sharing these dreams with his brothers. Because he has another dream and he tells his brothers, as if the first one went so well. And there's that word, hine, again. Now notice that I colored the first vihine differently. Because the first hine is not part of the dream. The first hine is part of his presentation. Behold, I had another dream. But interesting, he doesn't have that in the first dream. But in the dream itself, he has a vihine. Behold, the sun, the moon, and ten stars are bowing to me. Now, what does this mean? What does Yosef think it means? What do the brothers think it means? So if the brothers interpreted the previous dream as either a prophecy or a wish that Yosef's going to be ruling over them, Yosef's wish, then they're going to see this the same way. What if Yosef doesn't understand what the dream means? I think it's very possible he has no idea what it means. He's a kid. He's having dreams, and he's telling sharing his dreams. Maybe he's even telling his brothers, because he's asking them, can you guys help me figure it out? And they're so angry and so filled with hatred with it for him that they they can only hear the lording over and bowing part and they can't help him sort it out. And maybe he's kind of confused by that. Now, to take apart this dream, how is this dream different than the first dream? I'll start with the other question. How is this dream the same as the first dream? What do they have in common? Bowing. Bowing, exactly. And who's bowing to whom? The brothers' family seem to be bowing to Yosef, right? Okay. How are these dreams different? So I asked you in the first dream how many actors I would have to cast for the dream. And we came up with somewhere between 4 and 12, 5 and 12, depending on how many brothers there are in the first dream. 
But they get off stage right away. After the first scene, they're off stage. And then there's grains that we have to manipulate with pulleys that stand up and bow and all that. Um, what about in the second dream? How many people are in the dream? Look carefully at the dream. You'll see something surprising. How many people are in that dream? Just Yosef. One person. And Yosef is not represented by an astral being. Yosef is Yosef. And in that dream, the sun and the moon and 11 stars bow to him. I have no idea what celestial bodies bowing looks like. I'm not concerned with it. But that's his dream. Now, based on the brother's previous reaction, and maybe Yosef comes to them and says, you know, help me work this out. I don't know what it means. But for some reason, this time, he also includes his father and tells his father about the dream. Now, it's unclear why. Is it because he feels like the sun and the moon? Maybe that means parents. I don't know. Or maybe because father happened to be around when he had this dream and he wasn't around the last time. Unclear, but he includes his father. There are like two vice a pair for that dream. One in Tet and one in Yud. Right, because he tells the brothers, right? And then he tells his father and his brothers. So it's unclear whether that's modifying what happened before, meaning and by the way, also his father, or whether he repeated it in front of his father and his brothers. Unclear. Now, Michael's a good a good hop, then you notice that. So now Now who gets mad at him? If father gets mad at him, what kind of dream is this? Am I and your mother, by the way, who's long buried, somewhere in your Beit Lachem, wherever, and your brothers are all going to come and bow to you, prostrate ourselves down to you to the ground? Now, interestingly, the brothers don't have this reaction. Maybe they've already had the reaction. Maybe they're quiet in front of their father, although that didn't seem to be the case in Shechem. Unclear what's going on in this, in this scene. But... Again, we got to wonder, what's Yosef doing? Why is Yosef sharing these dreams when the simplest read of the dreams, given the family dynamic, is not going to be pleasing to his brothers or to his father? The second thing I want to pose, and these are just questions I'm going to pose, we're going to leave them open until the end of this year, or later in this year, is what do Yosef's dreams actually mean? What does the first dream actually mean? What does the second dream actually mean? And is the first dream and the second dream, are they essentially the same message just given twice? Or are they different messages? And then in that case, what does each one mean? And what do the sun and moon represent? What do the 11 stars represent? And we should not be misled. When we read something in Tanakh, we always have to ask the question, who's saying it? It's critical. When, um, when the Tanakh says, I don't know where my brother is, that doesn't mean the guy speaking doesn't know where his brother is. He is his brother's keeper, and he knows his brother's dead, and he buried him. That's Cain. So you got to take a pay, pay, pay attention. Who's speaking? When the narrator says something, okay, that's God's voice. That's absolute, That's what's going on. But when an individual is speaking who has an interest in, in what's going on, then we have to wonder whether or not they are being honest, whether they, they are omniscient and they actually know what's going on, or is it just a reaction? When Yaakov says the sun and the moon are me and your mom, is that the true interpretation? Did Yaakov believe it, but he's wrong? Did Yaakov believe it, but he was right? Or did Yaakov maybe think something else and he said it? We don't know. 
So we got to keep these things afloat. Okay. Now, these dreams seem to play out later on. The next time we ever hear about these dreams, besides when Yaakov goes to meet his brothers and his brothers say, oh, here comes the dream guy. Let's throw him in a pit, see what happens. But there's no mention of the content of the dreams. The dreams come up again in the middle of this week's parasha in Whitney Cates, which means after the butler and the baker and after Paro's dreams. After all the dream sequences are done, the brothers come down to get food. And at that point, when they come and appear before Yosef and Yosef doesn't knows, Yosef knows who they are, they don't recognize Yosef. We have this famous pasuk by Yosef remembered the dreams that he dreamt about them or on their behalf, maybe. And then immediately goes into that possum game of you guys are spies and you're here to spy out the land and you you bring you down your brother. The whole story starts from Yosef remembering the dreams. So what does that mean? So I'm going to suggest that in the intervening time between the dreams that we saw in Source 1 and Yosef's remembering the dreams in Source 2, Yosef finally understood what the dreams meant. He did not understand them at the beginning. And he understood them because of his experience with the butler and baker and with Paro. And these dreams come up again, their fulfillment, and we're going to look back at at three and four later on. But let's jump ahead to the butler and the baker. Yosef, as we know, ends up um, in the pit. He ends up getting pulled out of the pit. He ends up being sold as as a slave to Egypt. He goes to Potiphar's house. Mrs. Potiphar frames him. He ends up in jail. He's in jail, but he's got favored status because everywhere he goes, Yosef is gold. Everybody loves Yosef. And therefore, the warden puts him in charge of all the important prisoners. Remember, this prison is not um, um, uh, Lopa, um, Lompoc. This prison is Club Fed. That's where all of the important guys come. And by the way, who is in the prison with Yosef, who Yosef is serving? The Sarha Mashkim and Sarha Ofim. Now, just one little note about this on part of the text that's not here on the page, but Yo, the, the text tells us that Paro got angry at the butler and the baker. And what did he do? He threw the Sarhamashkim and the Sarhofim in prison. So who did he throw in prison? Not the guys who did the wrong thing, but their bosses. In other words, some guy spilled wine or whatever it was, so the head butler gets thrown in prison. The butler himself was probably killed. Some baker, uh, you know, put a fleshic fork into milchic cheesecake. I don't know what. And Paro probably had that baker killed, but the Sarabahofim goes into prison. Look carefully at the text. And they're in the prison for one year. Now, parenthetically, I think I could tell you at what event they actually messed up. We'll get to that a little bit later on. So now, these guys are in prison, and they both have dreams the same night, and they wake up, and they're very upset. They're upset because they're clearly in a crossroads of their life kind of situation. They're in prison, and they've been in prison for close to a year, and as we'll find out, you don't stay in prison longer than a year in this prison. Uh, this means one way or the other, things are coming to a head, and they, have a, they each have powerful dreams, and so they're upset, understandably. Yosef comes in the morning to bring him breakfast, whatever he's doing, and they have their uh, their um, their upset faces. Yosef sees him and says, what's wrong? And they said, we had a dream. We had dreams. Yosef says something very strange. Yosef, the top line of source five. The solutions belong to God. Tell me. 
which taken the wrong way could be, could be an, an amazingly haughty statement. I am, I'm me and God, we're, you know, you tell me, I'll, I'll work it out. It seems that Yosef is not saying that. What Yosef seems to be saying is something very different. He says that the, that the meaning of this is a divine meaning. And therefore, if you tell it to me, just put it out there, it should be fairly straightforward as to what it means. Should not need complex dream analysis. You don't need to go through transactional therapy for the next four years, and I'll be billing you, uh, in order to figure out what it means. And you don't have to find out um, what happened to your great-grandmother and why that craziness went through your family and you behave this way. It's a straight-up thing. Okay, so the Saramashkim, the head butler, Presents his dream. And what does he say? Vihine, Geffen Lefanai. Again, that word Vihine. Now, I want to comment on the word Vihine for a minute now, but we'll get to it um, uh, later on. Vihine, behold, is a word that's used in every one of our dream sequences to describe a new scene in the dream. And what it seems to imply is something of great clarity. Behold, this thing's right in front of me. I have no question what it is. And there it is. And as we saw in the first of the Yosef dreams, each scene was marked off by a different VNA. Clarity, there we are in the field. Next scene, clarity. The, 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 uh, we leave the stage, the sheaves remain on the stage, the lights go on again, and my sheep stands up tall. Clarity, lights go out. Suddenly all your sheaves are standing around bowing in front of my sheep as the lights come on again. Boom, very clear. What's his clarity in his clear dream? In a gaff on the front, I have a vine in front of me. Three shoots. The buds are coming, and the grapes are are growing, and they're now laden with with uh, their juice. The and I, he's picturing himself in the dream. He sees himself in the dream, which, by the way, should remind us of Yosef in the field with the sheaves, and then Yosef in the sky or wherever he is with all the things bowing down to him. He is there in the dream, and he's holding Paro's cup. I take the, the grapes, and I squeeze them into Paro's cup, and I put it into Paro's hand, which, by the way, means that we need two actors for this scene. We need a guy to play the Saramashku, and a guy to play Paro. I get Yul Brenner, and, uh, and then um, just a bunch of grapes and a cup. Okay. How does Yosef respond? I'll tell you what it means. It's very straightforward. The three vines represent three days. How did Yosef know that? We're going to find out in a minute that it's actually very straightforward and very easy, and it teaches Yosef a powerful lesson. Paro will recognize you. He's going to put you back on your seat, like in your important seat. And you will then be giving Paro his cup like you used to do. This foreigner points out, it means you're not going to go back to your office. You're not going to be head butler. You're going to go back to being in the mailroom. You'll be the regular butler feeding, giving the cup to Paro, not ordering people around. All right. And then Yosef makes his plea, please remember me. Good. So now the baker says, hey, that was pretty good. So, and, and it seems that it resonates. This dream seems to make sense. This interpretation seems to make sense. Why does it make sense? We're going to find out in a minute. So he comes to Yosef and says, I got it. Okay, let me tell you my dream. Vihine, again, Vihine. I have three wicker baskets on my head. 
At the top basket has a bunch of pastries, baked goods. And the bird is eating them off my head, which means, by the way, who's not in his dream? Paro's not in his dream. Notice, it's just him, basket, bread, bread and birds, but no, no Paro. But Yan Yosef Yomer is epic to know. Yosef has a solution. What's that? The three baskets are three days. In three days, Paro is going to recognize you, raise your head, and take it off, and hang you on the tree, impale you on the tree, and the birds are going to eat your flesh. Okay? Now, where does Yosef get this idea from? And the answer is that Yosef has a calendar in front of him. It's very simple. Look at the next pasuk, pasukhaf. It was the third day. The third day from what? Third day from the dream interpretation. Yom who let it that Paro. It may be Paro's birthday. It more likely is the anniversary of his coronation. Big party. He makes a big party for all of his courtiers. And who does he recognize? The head minister of the butlers and the head minister, the officer over the bakers. He puts the Saramashkim back on his spot. And he gives the cup to Pharaoh. And the baker was impaled, just like Yosef said. All right. Well, let's roll it back. You're in prison. What do you know? You know that in three days is Paro's big party. What happens at Paro's big party? Paro decides the fate of all the people who have, have sinned against the court. And there's two things that can happen. Basically, to pr- borrow a, an image from the Caesars, thumb up or thumb down. Either you're granted amnesty or you're dead. Either way, you're going to be raised up. You'll be raised up on a tree, you'll be raised up on a throne. Either way, you're going up. So Yosef knows that's coming. Yosef knows nobody stays in prison after that party if they sinned against the king. Because either they're going to be given amnesty or they'll be dead. So when he hears the, the, the butler in his dream has three, he says, oh, three, that's three days from now. Because his whole dream is about serving Paro. And now what does he see in the dream? Paro's in the dream. The guy's in the dream and the guy's serving Paro. So that's very easy. In three days, you're going to be back to giving him wine. You'll be relieved. You'll be, you'll be, your sentence will be commuted. So then when the baker comes in and he has three baskets, the three baskets are now a no-brainer. Three baskets, three days, same three days. However, Paro's not in this dream. And the birds eating the basket from on top of his head. So the interpretation is actually very straightforward. So what did Yosef get here that nobody else got? The answer is nothing. Nobody else was asked about these dreams. These guys had dreams. They were upset. And Yosef was the first guy they saw. So we don't know that these dreams were indecipherable by anybody else. But that's how Yosef reads it. Now, this so far does not really help Yosef understand the two dreams that he had way back in Hebron that started this whole ball rolling. That does, this doesn't necessarily inform him. But he does understand something about dreams, which is that if dreams are really of a prophetic nature, their form may take on a local meaning, meaning a meaning that's associated with the person dreaming. And they may be part of that person's experience. But the substance of the dream will be straightforward. So the 
Butler doesn't picture loaves of bread and the baker doesn't picture vines because they're each thinking about their own livelihood. But the substance of the dream is straightforward. So Yosef knows how to look at the form and put it in its own context. Look at the substance and interpret it. It's very helpful. Where did he get that from? Where did he get that knowledge from? So now I want to take you to the bottom source. Because the bottom source is where this all starts. Yosef, as the Torah tells us, is the favored son without question, the favored son of Yaakov. And while all the other brothers are working and doing what they're doing, Yosef stays at home with his father. He serves his father. He's Ben Zekunim. Look at the Ramban and Ben Zekunim. And Yaakov's defining moment, I believe it's his defining moment, just like Abraham has the Akedah, Yitzhak, you may say, is the Akedah. Yaakov's defining moment is the vision that he has on his way out of Israel at Luz, which he renames Betel. And what's that, what's that experience? He has a halom. Look at his look at his dream. Stage one. There's a sulam, whatever sulam is. Call it a ladder, but it might not be a ladder. It's anchored in the ground. It goes all the way to the top, to the heaven. And there are malachim going up and down this conveyance. And on top is God. And God then speaks to him, and God promises him what he promises him. We're not worried right now about the content, about the substance. We're worried about the form. And then what does God actually say in the dream? He says, And there's vine again, uh, uh, being clarity. Because the promise of children, that's going to happen later, years later. The promise of the land will happen generations later. But the promise of me being with you and protecting you starts right now. I'm protecting you tonight. I'm going to protect you the whole way until I bring you back and fulfill my promise. So that's vihine. It's clarity. Now, Yaakov relates this to Yosef. Why not? And so Yosef understands something about how dreams work. The dreams, when they are prophetic, are going to take on a form which is associated with the individual having the dream. But the substance of it will be fairly clear to see. The information here is fairly clear. So now we've got to go back and say, why is the form of this dream unique to Yaakov? A ladder? Who cares? So for that, we have to look ahead in the book of Shoftim Perak Aleph. In the book of Shoftim Perak Aleph, we hear the following story. The tribe of Ephraim goes to conquer Beit El. The entrance of land. They go to conquer Betel because Binyamin, whose territory is Betel is in their territory, probably can't conquer it. So Ephraim goes to conquer it. Ephraim camps out outside of the city. It's a walled city. And they see somebody leaving the city. They go to the guy and say, listen, we want to be nice to you. So show us the way in the city. And when we destroy the city, we'll let you live. Okay, it's a good deal. So the guy shows them the way into the city. They come in, they massacre the city, take it over. And this guy and his family all leave. And they build a town somewhere else, and they name it Luz because, of course, the, the, the locals always called it Luz. They, the fact that some Jew took a nap and called it Betel doesn't affect them. Still Luz. Of course, they're all losers, and that's fine. Now, why couldn't Bnei Ephraim find their way into the city? Well, the answer is pretty clear, clear, that there was a wall around the city with a secret entrance, and you couldn't find your way in. And while you're looking for the entrance, the guards will get you. So this guy shows them the way in. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, now let's go back to our story right here. Yaakov leaves Beersheba on his way to Haran. He's traveling north. He's walking on the mountains from Hebron to Yerushalayim. It's not Yerushalayim yet. 
to Beitel, that's where he's going to stop, then to Shechem, then he's going to go down and take a right and go through the Gilad up to Haran. Very nice. Um, he encounters a place and he sleeps outside on a rock. Why is Yosef Yaakov sleeping outside on a rock? Why doesn't he go into the town and take refuge? That's pretty straightforward because he can't get into the town because you can't find your way into the town. That same wall was up then. If he can't find his way into the town and he's sleeping outside, what's the foremost thing on his mind? How could I get in? So what's the form that his dream takes? A ladder. That's what on Solomon's mind. The substance is the prophecy. But the form is local to his experience. Now Yosef learns this. And Yosef's got to be saying to himself, then why was my first dream about grain and not about sheep? We don't do grain. He's got to be asking that question. Now the question's got to be pestering in the back of his head. Okay, now, let's roll to the third dream, which is Paro's dreams. We don't have to do this in detail. Again, I've marked the word vihine. It's all over the dream because it expresses clarity. Fat cows come out and they eat, and then the skinny cows come out and they eat up the fat cows, and you don't even see them getting any fatter, and I wake up, and then I have another dream, and behold, fat sheaves, behold, skinny sheaves, right, et cetera, right? The whole story happens. Yosef is pulled out of prison and Paro repeats the dream and slight embellishments. We do like to look at the difference between what Paro, what the text reports Paro saw and what Paro said. But let's take a look at Yosef's solution. Yosef's solution is as follows. Let's think about what Yosef's learned so far. Yosef has so far learned that when two dreams come together, they're somehow tied to each other. He had two dreams. He still doesn't know what they mean, but they have something to do with being in charge of the family. The butler and the baker had the same night two dreams, and they were parallel dreams with dastardly different endings. 180 degree different endings, but parallel kind of dreams. All right, so now Paro has two dreams in one night. That's kind of like putting both of these things together. It's the same guy having two dreams, but unlike Yosef, they're in one night. And Paro's dreams are much more parallel in the way of the butler and baker than Yosef's were. The butler and baker dreams are very parallel. They have to do with preparing foodstuffs, and there's three, and either you're serving them or they're being eaten. Yosef's two dreams are quite disparate. So Yosef's got all this information, and then he's brought to Paro to answer solve the to solve uh, to solve the the riddle. And remember, Yosef says when he gets out of when he gets out of prison, and Paro says to Yosef, "I heard you know how to solve solve things." Yosef says, "Elohim yanachlom Paro, God will answer you." Which means, if this is really a prophetic dream, it should be very straightforward. What's the first thing that Yosef learned from the butler and the baker? That units represent time. Three baskets, three sheet, three uh, grape, three vines. Good. So right away, seven cows, okay, good, that's seven years. Why is it going to be seven years and not seven days? Because once he gets the content of the dream and understands the content, days aren't significant enough. So seven to seven years, that part's easy. But he's got another piece of the puzzle that his own dreams and the Butler and Baker dreams help him solve for, for, for Paro. 
He said, I want you to imagine this. The butler pictured himself doing something very real, squeezing grapes into a cup and handing a paro. The baker understood something very real, standing there with baskets on his head and the vertizemium. That's a real life scenario. You could imagine doing that. Now, my own dreams weren't like that. My own dreams were very weird. The sun bowing down, the moon bowing down, and sheaves bowing. That's weird. I'm going to discount that. Paro, what did Paro see? Well, Paro said he saw skinny cows eating fat cows and skinny sheaves eating fat sheaves. But guess what, guys? Cows are not carnivorous. They don't eat their own. And sheaves don't eat nothing. Which is what Ludwig signed to go on to say, you know what Yosef did and why he was such a champion to Paro and why Paro elevated him? Because he solved the dream and he said to Paro, you're confused. You saw two dreams in one night and you confused them. You thought you saw skinny cows eating fat cows and skinny sheaves eating fat sheaves. That's not what you saw. You know what you did see? You saw fat cows eating fat sheaves and then you saw skinny cows eating skinny sheaves. And by the way, once we clarify that, it's a no-brainer. Egypt is made up of essentially... The, it, it's an it's an agrarian society. It's all about grains. And cows, by the way, are not hot dogs. They're not hamburgers. They're plowers. So they're all part of the agrarian system. You see fat cows eating fat sheaves. That's fat years. You see skinny cows eating skinny sheaves. That's skinny years. And then he tells them the solution, and it's all very straightforward. Where did Yosef figure this out from? So we actually can chart it. He figured it out from the very obvious solution to the butler and the baker, which means now he's got to start thinking about his own dreams that have got to be in the forefront of his consciousness the whole time since so many weird things have happened to him. He gets thrown in a pit. He gets sold as a slave. He rises to greatness in Potiphar's house, and then he gets framed, and he ends up in the prison, solves the dreams, and now he's king of Egypt. A strange life. A graced life, but a strange life. So what happens? So Yosef goes back and says, now I think I understand the dreams. The dreams are like Paro's dreams, one person having these dreams. But unlike Paro's dreams, they're not a single sequence. They are two separate stages. Because Paro's dreams were fat cows, fat stalks, skinny cows, skinny stalks. So that's a sequence. What I had was stocks and then stars, which means there are two stages in my life, two stages in who I am in relation to, to, to my family, but they're not they're not a one-two step. Okay? So I figured that out from my, my interpretation and seeing Paro's dreams. What does Yosef understand about the first dream? The form should have been shepherding. It wasn't. It was grain collecting. It was farming. Why? Because like the butler, who was actually going to give the, the wine back to, the, to Paro, my dream is about grain. And so now the whole dream context becomes grain. What's the first stage? We're all gathering grain together, which means we're all involved in a common economic venture. Stage two, my grain stands up tall, meaning my economic stature grows up tall. And stage three, 
all of your grains bow to my grain. And bowing, by the way, in Tanakh doesn't always mean obeisance or worship or servitude. It sometimes means dependence. So you're all going to be dependent on me for what? For grain, for food. Very straightforward. And now what happens when the brothers come to him? When the brothers come to him, he remembers the dreams, plural. And then he starts with the accusation of everything else in order to manipulate everything to ultimately get the brothers to come down. Because he had dreams in the plural. What was the second dream? The second dream is not a continuation of the first dream. It's separate. He dreamt that he saw the 11 stars bowing to him. We'll get to the sun and the moon in a minute. The 11 stars bowing to him. Now, if you're in the world of Breshit and you hear stars, what are you thinking? You're thinking, Avraham, Avraham's descendants are going to be like the stars. In other words, besides being as numerous as the sand by the sea, they are going to be as illuminating, as powerful, as spiritually sensitive as stars. Stars is describing Am Yisrael in its most beautiful high position. And if the stars are bowing to him, that means he's also responsible not just for feeding the family, but for taking care of their spiritual welfare. And what does Yosef understand? The only way to take care of their spiritual welfare ultimately is to send them with lots of care baskets back to Eretz Yisrael. But the family needs to be together. So we have to be here. But Egypt is a corrupt place. So the only way for me to safeguard their spiritual wholeness is to have them come here as foreigners and be outsiders and live somewhere else. And therefore, he starts the whole scheme of manipulating them. Then what happens when they actually come down? He says, God sent me here to feed you. He's just talking talking the dream out. The famine's been for two years. There's another five years. And God sent me here to feed you. In other words, to fulfill the first dream. And then what does he say when they go to meet Paro? He says, go tell Paro that you are shepherds because the Egyptians hate shepherds. They're going to put you far away somewhere else in good grazing land, which is basically not good farming land. And what was his purpose there? To keep them away from the Egyptian center, to take care of their stars. And so Yosef, only after the butler and the baker and only after Paro, when the dreams sort of speak themselves through, does he start to understand the language of dreams, roll it back and say, now I understand the dreams that I had back then. And they are not dreams of my power. They are dreams of my responsibility, that the brothers are going to be dependent on me to feed them and to take care of their spiritual wholeness. Two separate responsibilities. They're not parallel. They're not a sequence. They're two separate responsibilities that both fall on me. And therefore, he immediately swings into action in what seems to be a mean-spirited kind of approach, but really the ultimate goal is to be able to do the best he can to take care of them. The final note on this is the sun and the moon. The sun and the moon are not represented in this. We have 11 stars, sun and the moon. So the 11 stars we understand is the children. The sun and the moon don't necessarily mean father and mother. Because mother, of course, is dead. And he's not responsible for taking care of Yaakov's spiritual wholeness. The sun and the moon may actually mean the sun and the moon. What was Yosef's job? Yosef's job was to take care of their spiritual growth and greatness. And ultimately, that can only happen in Israel. So Yosef brings the family down. He arranges them for them to live in a separate place, tries to isolate them socially. That takes care of feeding them. 
And he, unlike his father, cannot be buried in Canaan because he's the king of Egypt. But he makes his brothers take an oath. What's the oath he makes his brothers take on his deathbed? That when he dies, they'll bury him in Egypt, but they'll keep an eye on the bones. And when they God remembers them, brings them out of Egypt, they take his bones with them. Why? Because he's got to finish his job. And his job won't be done until he's reentered in Israel with his whole people coming back to Israel. Who finishes that job for him? Moses. Almost, but not quite. Who actually finishes the job? Yoshua. Hmm. And interesting, who is Yoshua? Yoshua binun l'shevet Ephraim. Means Yoshua is a descendant of Yosef, a direct descendant of Yosef. Significantly, Yosef lives to the age of 110, and we're told that twice. Twice, the text says he lives to 110, which is odd because nobody else gets press up twice about their years. Moshe says I'm 120, and then we're told the text only says 120 once. Yosef, we're told twice, 110. And not surprisingly, when we meet Yoshua at the end of Yoshua, and we hear he dies at the age of 110. It's as if to say there's another guy in Yosef's family who's going to live the same amount of years who's going to finish the job because Yosef's going to finish the job of Yoshua. Of, of, uh, Yoshua's going to finish the job of Yosef. By the way, what's Yoshua's greatest moment in his career? Without a question. The greatest moment in Yoshua's career is, according to the text, the greatest moment in any leader's career, which is when he commands the sun and the moon to stand still, and they stand still in his war against the five Kenai kings. Which means that the dream that Yosef had of the sun and the moon bowing happens exactly that way. They bow in obeisance and in subservience to Yoshua, who continues the job of Yosef to bring the people in. So Yosef's own understanding about dreams develops as he interprets other people's dreams, and then he can look back at his own dreams and understand what they meant so that he can act appropriately to fulfill his job, his divinely mandated job, uh, with the brothers and with his family and with us.